Hello and welcome to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ, online at RadioNorthland.org, and you can also stream us on the TuneIn app. Well, thanks for tuning in. It's always good to talk that Wrestling Memories business. Oh, it is. Every time I'm here. I'm Glenn Broggett, along with my co-host down there deep in the heart of Texas, uh, Mike McCurdy, the Grizzle Vet. And Mike, you know, I've been hearing on the news, I mean, just for Texas in general, you guys are like hitting them consistent triple digits in certain certain spots of the state i mean that whole south is just getting dirty hot what's how are you doing man you're not uh, you haven't melted or anything have you i have not melted i've been staying where the ac is i am unfortunately one of those spots uh in texas we've been under an extreme heat advisory for the last two days supposed to expire tomorrow right now it's a lovely 112 degrees (laughs) (laughs) oof that stings out we're here at about 80 beer we had some rain off and on yeah 80 i could live with 80 80 summer with a little minor dip to 75 you know hell i i could live with that but when we hit those consistent triple digits man i my sympathy is with you my friend but hey we have mosquitoes up here so it's like mm. hey we got those here too man yeah and i'm trying to avoid them as best i can (laughs) that is very 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 smart but one thing you haven't been avoiding, though, is uh, pro wrestling, and uh, you've, you're always on it, man. And you just checked out a couple of nights ago All Elite Wrestling and New Japan's uh, jam, a little, little co-jam, uh, Forbidden Door 2 from Toronto. And, I mean, I, I've been hearing so many things, but I haven't really gotten a chance to watch. So I want to talk to you because you, you viewed it. You, you took it all in, and, and from what uh, I, I got, the reports I got from you... You you were popping huge, man. What was, was it? Was it that? Was it good? I mean, bring bring it to me, honest, man. Well, once again, uh, just like last year, you know, you're you're seeing Forbidden Door. You're hearing about like you know this year Adam Cole got pulled. Uh, you hear about injuries and this and that. So you're not sure what to expect. Mm-hmm. But once again, man, they pulled off an absolute, in my opinion, absolutely amazing card. Uh, you know, when you've got Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay and they go forty minutes. And that crowd is on their feet and just hot as hell the entire 40 minutes. Yeah. You know you got a product. Uh, Danielson versus Okada, the main event, while it wasn't you know quite the dream match that everybody was expecting and hoping for, still a solid match. I wouldn't put anything on that card below, if I'm Meltzer, I wouldn't go below <laughs> three stars. And I would give Omega and Osprey probably about, I'm not going to go you know seven or eight like a Meltzer, but no. I would give them a good four and a half. And I'd say everything else was in between that. So, card solid. You know, I'd give it. A, I'd give it a four as far as uh, you know overall. Very good. Pre-show not so much. Once again, he loaded the pre-show with a bunch of multi-man tag matches, and it just seemed like it was a chance to just put everybody on the show and give them a chance to work. I'm not a fan of that. I think you need to like put quality matches on. Yeah. I think if they maybe put a couple matches on the pre-show that were on the main card, and then trim the main card down by like. You know, 45 minutes, it would have been even more solid. That, but that, with pre-show, this thing That's the thing with Tony, hours. man. It's like, you know, he has so many of these great matches, but it's the, the whole overall runtime of these shows. It's like when you're, you're talking, you know, up here, I'm, I'm watching well into, into the 11 o'clock hour, and it's just, wow. It's, it's exhausting. I have to watch it sometimes in pieces, but I've always enjoyed. And uh, good to hear that the, that the Forbidden Door was... Uh, a great investment, and you know it was unfortunate the filthy Tom Lawler didn't get a get a good shot in there. I mean, the whole Adam Cole thing would have been a very interesting match. I was looking forward to that one, um, but on the flip side of that, if Adam Cole and filthy Tom Lawler had been on the card, this thing would have gone over five hours. It'd so still be it'd still be on, the good with it? the bad. You got to take the good with the bad on this one. Yeah, I guess uh, for time constraints, uh, yeah, that's probably a, a, a better deal, but. Oh, so we, we, we got to pass that. I mean, there's still so much more on the wrestling pro wrestling fans plate here as we move into summer. And, of course, uh, if you're an old school fan like me, you've been watching the uh, you've been watching Vice, of course, Dark Side of the Ring. It's been a been a, been a hell of a season, been an interesting ride. I mean, this last one, uh, the more previous one here as Alvar taping uh, with Matt Bourne was 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 definitely. Yeah. There was warts and all on that one. The Matt Bourne one was very good. I have actually, you know, I have not told you about this, but I've actually reached out to his daughter 
to see if she'd be interested in coming on as a guest on our show and talking more about uh, her dad. And thanks to our guest, who we'll be introducing here soon, I got a chance to meet Matt Bourne back in uh, early 2000s. So, you know, I can honestly say that I have met him. I got to see him wrestle in the... Do- wasn't wrestling as Doink, but he had the Doink the Clown outfit in one of the shows. So, but, you know, very interesting to meet Matt Bourne, knowing, you know, his history in the business and all that. And he was he was a really great guy when I talked to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it sounded like... So just kind of sad to see all the, you know, addictions and everything that unfortunately plague a lot of the guys. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a tale as old as time in the pro wrestling business. You know, again, to cope with just the travels and the life of being a pro wrestler, whether it would be in the territory days or even now with on the big national stages, you know, there wasn't a lot of video game playing back uh, in, in the early 80s with some of these gentlemen. Uh, you know, these guys, uh, <laughs> they put on the miles. They, they definitely uh, wore their bodies out. They weren't walking around with a portable game system, hooking up a TV in the locker room, playing some, uh, you know, whatever the hot PlayStation game is at the time. So, oh, could you imagine the ribbing on that? Oh, they would, those kids would lose their minds. But anyway, you, you talked. We talked about Portland, and we have a return guest here on on Wrestling Memories, Mike, and uh, he's coming today because he's announcing uh, well, a, a channel on YouTube. It's got me curious. I've watched some of the. Watch the promo on it, one of the promos, and I, you know, seeing some of those clips. I'm, yeah, I'm very interested in this, uh, what is coming up here with this page. And Mike, I want to let you uh, bring in our guest uh, today, talk about this page, dig into a little more uh, pro wrestling out there in the Pacific Northwest, a little history on that. So, yeah, take it away, Mike. Uh, I'll, I'll pop in here and there because I always love listening to this guy as well as chatting with him. Yes, the uh, YouTube channel you're speaking of debuts July 4th. Portland Wrestling in the 2000s. I'm excited about this channel because I was there for Portland Wrestling in the 2000s. I was front row at a lot of the shows in the Cleaver Armory, so you know maybe I might make an appearance on TV. I don't know. I, I was known to uh, show up once or twice uh, in, in the camera shot, but we're not talking about that, though. Uh, we're going to talk about Portland Wrestling in the 2000s, the YouTube channel itself, Portland Wrestling promotion in the, the 2000s, which was run by our guest, like you said. He's a return guest to our show, Mr. Frank Culbertson. Frank, welcome back to Wrestling Memories. Hey, it's great to be here. Always good to talk about wrestling. And before we get into Portland wrestling, I have an idea on how Tony Khan can cut his shows down by 45 minutes. Okay, I want to hear this. This is going to be good. You stop everybody from standing in the middle of the ring and throwing elbows at each other. Every single match did it. It was, honestly, it was endless. Take those spots out. You cut the show 45 minutes. Not bad. Yeah, Not I'm, bad. I'm, I'm convinced. It was a great <laughs> show, though. Uh, some great action. Uh, you saw guys that are towards the end of their career, like Tanahashi was obviously uh, slowed from where he used to be in 2017 and 18. Uh, but Brian Danielson, who we'll talk about today, was great. And, uh, yeah, Omega uh, tore it down. Oh, Omega and Osprey was easily the match of the night and that crowd like i said they were on their feet and they were hot the entire match and 40 minutes is a hard time to keep the audience invested i know myself you go into the 20 25 mark i'm like okay what are we doing but no i was into this my son loved it although in his opinion he said that it wasn't a match it was a murder uh a little bit too much blood for him but you know he has only 12. well then don't take him to the uh, barbed wire death matches portland wrestling that we'll cover in an upcoming episode on uh, Portland Wrestling 2000s. I was there for that. I actually have some of the barbed wire handed to me by one of the uh, participants in that match, actually. He just handed me a whole ball of it and said, here. I'm like, all right, cool. And I got to tell you, I'll just preface it, that that was real barbed wire, not gimmick barbed wire. Nothing was snapped. I bought it out at a farm store uh, out in Troutdale, and uh, it was the real deal. It, it was uh, something that tore up. Dr. Luther, now in AEW, and Lester the Legend, uh, who was in Impact for quite a while. And I can attest that, yes, it was real barbed wire because I accidentally stuck myself with it. But no blood. We were good. (laughs) You didn't juice. (laughs) Next time. Next time. No, no, I don't. don't, don't Sounds like a good idea, Frank. You know, if if you got the barbed wire, he could still do it at home. And my wife makes me keep the barbed wire put away. She doesn't want the kids to try to uh, use it on each other. So, 
it's packed away safely, a little bubble wrap in a box, so that way it's kind of, you know, safe and can't stick anybody if uh, the box is open. There you go. So where would you like to begin on this? Well, you know, let's kind of give our listeners a little background on, uh, you know, your time with Portland Wrestling. I know we talked about a little bit your first time on the show, but let's give our listeners kind of a little background on your run with uh, Portland Wrestling in the 2000s. So I had been involved in uh, doing television announcing in uh, professional wrestling since about 1988, Pacific Coast Championship Wrestling out at Oregon City from the failed Billy Jack Haynes OPW, uh, OWF promotion in Portland. Uh, so I had done television announcing, uh, later became the controller, business manager at the WB32 affiliate in Portland. We had a giant studio. We did not produce any television at that time. Uh, the general manager wanted to generate revenue, always a good idea in business. And so I came up with the idea of bringing in Portland Rustling, uh, which had been off the air since 1991. Uh, he wanted to know what that was all about. He was not from Portland, did not know the history. So I put together a business plan. Uh, he loved it. Our sales team loved it, which is always important. And they were able to go out and bring in uh, a significant amount of revenue f uh, that we took away from other stations, advertisers that wanted to be involved in Portland wrestling. Um, so we went to a commission meeting. Uh, they said we didn't have to have a wrestling promoter's license because we weren't selling tickets, it was a television show, and uh, that's how we got started. Um, so we booked some wrestlers, and Grappler came in, Lynn Denton, uh, and of course with following him came Roddy, Roddy Piper, we'll talk about him, and uh, off we went. Now this was with, uh, you said this was during the, the WB time, right? This Yeah, this was where uh, we started the WB, uh, eventually, after just about uh, three months, the commission, uh, the state attorney general, sent us cease and desist letters saying we needed a promoter's license, uh, which was completely different than what they had told us at a meeting, which we had notes on, but that's another episode. Uh, so then the station sold to Tribune out of Chicago. Tribune did not want to do uh, Portland wrestling. Comcast Sportsnet approached me and said, we would love to do Portland wrestling. And so I, because of conflict of interest, couldn't do it on two stations. Uh, so I left my position at WB and went off on my own on Comcast Sportsnet to do Portland wrestling. And this was from the Cleaver Armory? Those were the ones at the Cleaver Armory. And yes, Mike, you will be on uh, upcoming episodes. There are shots I already know where you're sitting just to the right over there by Joe Souza and Mike Rogers. And uh, we'll be sure to focus in on you. We'll talk about you probably on a whole episode in your barbed wire. There we go. There we go. The grizzled vet episode. No, I did though. I, that was kind of my spot, me and Joe and Mike Rogers, uh, Jared Miller, uh, another guy there was, that was our spot right there. Front row off to the right there. Kind of, you know, we could see, you know, commentary table and all that airing entrances were coming out just from, uh, the opposite end, but that was my spot. We did an eight-hour, Joe and I did an eight-hour drive from uh, Eureka to Portland once a month to uh, for the Cleaver Armory shows, and I ended up ring crew. I ended up putting together cages. Um, acquired quite the memorabilia pieces. I have a couple chairs that came from uh, you know those shows as well, and then of course also uh, local news when they were coming in there. You know they talk with Mike, they talk with Joe, they talk with myself because. Sometimes people are kind of interested in, you know, the guys that drove. Eight. I think we were one of the only people, except for the wrestlers, maybe, that drove eight hours just to come. We didn't even come to work. We came to watch. So, you know, well, we it was a great product. We appreciate fans like that. Uh, we did have wrestlers that came up from uh, California and for a while until it got difficult at the border coming down from Canada. Uh, so we had guys that took a long time. And sometimes the weather, I know you probably hit up. Sometimes we're coming up from California it was a very difficult, treacherous trip up when the snow was, was happening. Uh, but we had a great crew. Uh, you know, we had from Canada, we had Scotty Mack, uh, Ladies' Choice. And then from California, we had the cartel with Vinny Massaro, who was really, if you don't follow the Snoring Elbow on Twitter, you should. He is really doing a lot of work. Uh, Big Ugly, J.D. Bishop. And, um, of course, we had Buddy Wayne, who, of course, we have to talk about because Buddy Wayne's son, 
uh, is about to make his debut on AEW, and that's a, a pretty exciting thing. You had We had his grandfather, as they say, Ed Moretti, on the show as, uh, for a long time at the WB and on Comcast. Uh, so we're very excited to see his son uh, on AEW. He's, he's a little thin, but boy, can the guy fly, and he's really good at selling. So watch for a great career uh, with uh, the young Wayne. Yeah, that would be Nick Wayne. Uh, I've seen some of his stuff through uh, Defy and other indies. And yeah, July 12th, uh, it's been announced. That will be his uh, AEW Dynamite debut. I believe he turns 18 like the day before or two days before that, and then that's what they were waiting for. He had to be 18 before he could debut. So yeah, July 12th. Yeah, 18, and he had to graduate as well. That was one of the stipulations that uh, they had put on the contract that he had was to turn 18 and to graduate from high school because they wanted to make sure that he stayed focused and He's just been over uh, in Japan wrestling in the last month, so he's ready to come back home and uh, show us what he's got. You mentioned some of the names already. Uh, you know, Big Ugly J.D. Bishop, he's been a guest on um, our, our show in the past, a wonderful interview, and an all-around great guy. And then you mentioned, you know, Dr. Luther with AEW, but a few other names that uh, people might be interested in. Uh, like we mentioned, Brian Danielson, uh, the American Dragon, that was during the WB time. Uh People will see probably a young uh, a man they might have seen on NXT a few times, Timothy Thatcher. He was part of the Portland wrestling shows. And also, I believe, I know I saw him at the Armory one time, whether or not he actually wrestled with Portland or not, is uh, TJ Wilson, who people are going to know as Tyson Kidd, part of the New Heart Foundation or the Heart Dynasty in uh, WWE. So that's a uh, great subject to bring up. TJ Wilson was there. He did not wrestle. Um so there's a couple, there's another person um, named Jim Morrison uh, that was in the audience one day that uh, also we did not use, uh, didn't know him at the time. He was still early in his career. Uh, so those things happen and we're glad to see it. You know, TJ obviously got injured later, so glad that he's, he is doing well. Uh, you mentioned Brian Danielson. He was, his very first television, broadcast television uh, wrestling match was against Dr. Luther and the Black Dragon as he was teaming up with Adam Firestorm. And uh, that was a great match. He was a great wrestler, very like he was when he started at WWF at the time. Very clean cut. And I don't know if I, you know this story, but uh, we did all of our interviews in post. And he just, well, now he's a great interview and he can talk and he just put the mic in his hand and he can go. He could not. Uh, back then and it took like 11 takes I would just say this is what I'm going to say I'm going to hand you put the mic over in front of you not give him the mic Roddy Piper's uh, one first thing that he told me was don't ever let go of the mic to the wrestler so I didn't and I'm just going to say this and then you go and it took like 11 takes just to get like 45 seconds out of him uh, but he could always wrestle and uh, a great young man uh, who if you read Excitement in the Air, Volume 1 from Mike Rogers, uh, an interview with uh, Brian Danielson is in it. And he, early in his career, thought he was just going to go back home, go to community college, and that was going to be his career. I don't think he saw headlining WrestleMania or uh, The Forbidden Door in his future, but it's awesome to see what he's done. Uh, you mentioned Dr. Luther. I absolutely love Dr. Luther. Um, great friend, personal friend of mine. And he would do anything that you ask. He gets some bad raps uh, because he has aged, as we all have. Um, but he could really go in the ring. He knew what to do. He knew how to sell. One of the things he talks about uh, as he teaches younger wrestlers is if a young, thinner guy is punching you, it, it's got to take two or three punches for you to really register that. Whereas today you see a lot of guys, they'll throw one punch and the guy will go sell it. He would teach that you need to learn how to sell and when to sell and let it register. Uh, he did the uh, dark, uh, the uh, barbed wire death match with Lester the Legend and he they would do whatever I ask of them and um, they definitely earned their money that night. Lester, uh, Lester the Legend and Adam Thornstow have gone on to form Rio Scum and have had some great success. Uh, so it's good to see them uh, on the road. Not as much wrestling as much as they used to in the last two years, but
but still good to see them active. Now, when it comes to the footage of uh, guys like you know Luther and and uh, Danielson and Reno Scum and that, are you going to be able to showcase some of that footage on your YouTube channel, or are there like legal entanglements involved in that now that they're with like bigger companies? Uh, there are not the um, everything uh, when they uh, agreed to the matches, um, those were signed deals where they could we could use the footage in perpetuity. Um, so that's one of the lessons I learned from Roddy Piper right away, uh, was to make sure that I had those signed deals. Uh, Roddy and I were, uh, well, I can tell, before I get to Roddy, yes, we can use it. I have about 80% of all of the shows that we did. You know, we did uh, WB. I have two shows from there. And then I have almost all of the WB at, or the uh, Portland Wrestling at Cleaver Armory. So we have a lot of great stuff. Uh, we're not going to focus necessarily running a whole show at one time, but we'll pick subjects. So we're working on the two doc or uh, two Roddy Piper episodes right now. We'll follow it up with Matt Bourne, where he wrestled in Portland for us as Matt Bourne, and then as Doink the Clown at the outdoor show. Uh, we'll have a Dr. Luther episode, and of course a Grappler episode. We could have five Grappler episodes because um, he did so much for us. And so we have a lot of stuff to, to focus on. We're going to show some of the legends. We have a couple of Snooka episode, uh, matches to show. And then we'll be sure to update people and bring them to know uh, J.D. Bishop, the cartel, Skag Rollins, who if, if you follow his career, he is now blowing it up on the comedy circuit, moved to Las Vegas, and he is all over the nation doing comedy. Uh, and he is he's a bear guy, he'll admit that, uh, but he can always talk on the microphone, so it's no, no surprise that he's doing great in comedy. Um, so a lot of great stuff to come up, and uh, the first one, like I said, is July 4th, and it's going to feature Roddy Piper. We'll show uh, how I got to know him, and the first part is a lot of the crazy interview stuff that he did. We would say we have two minutes uh, for this segment. And about 12 minutes later, uh, we'd be figuring out what we were going to be able to cut out of the show to get all the Roddy Piper stuff on. He, once the camera turns on, Roddy just goes. Funny story, you mentioned Skag Rollins. Uh, now, like you said, comedy circuit, uh, Todd Royce. Uh, he's been out here to Fort Worth a couple times, performed at uh, some comedy clubs here. I've not had a chance to go see him, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, he's probably one of the the closest guys I met and we still talk on a regular basis, but Glenn to get an idea and you'll see him when you watch the Portland wrestling channel, I'm sure uh -huh. to see Skag Rollins, you got to imagine a heavier, he's a heavier guy, bigger guy. We'll, we'll say that. I'm not going to go into, you know, the, all the detail, but he would come out and he was known as the American wet dream. Oh, Skag Rollins. And he would come out in a satin shirt, bow tie. One time he came out in a shirt that said, I look better naked. Uh, the guy just played the perfect heel. He was amazing. And like I said, doing great in the comedy book, but yeah, I love Skag. I mean, Todd's a great guy. He could do anything that you wanted in the ring. You know, like a Buddy Rose, obviously. And I would compare Skag and, and Rose and their body styles at, towards the end of Rose's career. Um, but Skag could bump. Uh, he never ran out of gas. Uh, set great punches, great clotheslines, um, and selling. You could tell in his face uh, what Skag was thinking. And that was an important part of him. Uh, somebody I didn't mention that I should is um, a guy by the name of Davey Richards, who I think went on to a pretty good career as Ring of Honor World Champion. And Skag, they had their first match in uh, uh, Portland. Uh, he was just starting his career, and he was working very stiff. You know, he was working with Tony Kazina. And there is another match where... Um, he is wrestling the Red Dragon, and Buddy Wayne is on comedy, or a commentary, I should say comedy, because he was not impressed with Davy Richards and the style that he was wrestling. Buddy Wayne was old school, uh, make it look like it hurts, but you're not really going to you know, lay it in. Davy Richards the complete opposite. And on commentary, uh, Buddy Wayne, and we will have that entire match on an upcoming episode, he is just burying Davy Richards and talking about receipt. That's a receipt. That's a receipt. 
and I would try to steer him back into talking about the action in the ring, and the next words out of his mouth would be, that's a receipt. Um, so it was interesting to see Davey Richards has gone on uh, not only to a great career in wrestling that he had for quite a while, but now uh, doing uh, like uh, first aid work. Um, tremendous, tremendous young man doing great things. I think one of the uh, the funniest things I saw with uh, Buddy Wayne, who, by the way, talented wrestler, you know, they were part of a group, they called it the the, uh, the Old World Order, the OWO, which was, uh, what, six-pack and arena rat, six-pack ring rats and double shots on Sunday, I believe was their, uh, the motto on the back of their shirt. But one match, Buddy Wayne, um, this refers to Mike Rogers, uh, Buddy Wayne went into the ring and he had a copy of Ring Around the Northwest Newsletter, and he had it rolled up, like, you know, and he was using it as for an object. And he was bumping with it. A newsletter. <laughs> and thought this was highly entertaining. The fans were into it. But that was just kind of, you know, Buddy Wayne. I mean, great wrestler. But he did like to have a little bit of fun in the ring. But I always remember the rolled up newsletter. And just like, you know, whacking people with it. They'd bump. And then they'd hit him with it. He'd bump. And Mike Rogers is just in the front row like, oh, God. <laughs> and that actually comes into play on the breakup of the OW um, Old World Order when they attacked the grappler for losing to Luther, Black Dragon, and Scotty Mack. And Buddy takes the rolled up ring around the Northwest and stuffs it in Scotty Mack's mouth outside the ring. We have that on camera. Uh, and that comes, you'll see part of that in the first episode. There's a whole bunch of little clips so that people can get an idea of what Portland wrestling was about. Uh, some, so some introduction, not as many long match segments as there will be. Uh, you will get to see, and I know this is one of your favorite segments, uh, Miss Renta Own Auto, as we say, uh, which was uh, a lady that uh, a sponsor had brought in, or an auto dealership where you paid forty nine ninety five a week, and uh, you could get a car. And he had a lady friend, and he wanted her on television, and we made her to be beautiful Brian Alvarez's uh, friend. And so we have a segment of that uh, coming up. Of course, that led to a breakup with uh, Brian Alvarez and Ladies' Choice. Ladies' Choice then went to Skag Rollins and uh, formed the Knights of Ecstasy, another great group. Ladies' Choice is somebody that we will do an episode on. Uh, Travis Waters from Canada, uh, great uh, art uh, artist in real life, uh, and he could talk like crazy. He had a moveset that was old school, Tony Bourne type moveset. And that was that he would rake the back, he would uh, rake the eyes, he would take his boot strings and rake the eyes with that. Other than that, that was pretty much what he did, other than talk, and he could talk like crazy. Uh, so Ladies Choice will have a whole episode as well. So let's talk about uh, Portland wrestling itself when you were first running it. We already talking about you're gonna have clips of the matches, but. Let's kind of tell the listeners what went into putting together like an episode of Portland Wrestling. Because like I said, I would go to the Army shows and they were, you know, two, three hour shows. You were taping multiple weeks of television and the interviews in the back. But what was kind of the process to put together like a complete episode for uh, Comcast? So we would, uh, if people don't like the word scripts, I get that. But the, we would put together scripts, uh, show runs of what the matches were going to be, how long they were going to be, uh, who the sponsors were to be mentioned during certain matches. So all of that was set out in front of me and whoever was my co-announcer, whether it was Jim Valley or Don Koss or one of the wrestlers. So I always made sure to get the plugs in uh, because that's, you know, the ticket sales were good. We did, uh, on average, anywhere from three to 450 we were doing for a while. We had a, a $600 house or 600 person house one time so we were doing okay uh, but the real money comes from sponsorship so you had to make sure to keep the sponsors very happy which is why we had so many banners all around the ring um, so we would get there I would get ready for the show uh, if it was on a it, they were all were on Saturdays I would start on Thursday going over to Cleaver Armory making sure that the lights were set up uh, in the rafters correctly we would get the ring truck uh, loaded, then get there, get a forklift to raise us up, make sure that the lights were in the proper position. You know, I watched some indie wrestling on uh, 
YouTube channels or whatever streaming service. And one of the things that they get wrong a lot is making sure that the lights are set up. You get the, you get the reflection wrong, you get the bright light in a certain section. So you gotta make sure that lighting is critical, that the cameras in, uh, the producer and the camera crew would show up at about eight in the morning and we would make sure that all the cameras were white balanced, everything was working, the sound was right. So it was about four hours of uh, pre-production. Then we would start doing the interviews for the opens uh, in the back, uh, interviews in the back. We did all of our closes in post-production out at the Comcast studios uh, two days later because we knew exactly how much time we had to fill. Uh, but writing the scripts, uh, me, Grappler, uh, and for a while, Fidel Sierra, uh, Ed Moretti, uh, we would get together, uh, come up with what we were going to do for this month and how that led into the next month. We would put together the shows, uh, make sure that we had the talent booked that we could, and then we would fine-tune it. Then we would, I would type it all up and we would email it to wrestlers to review so that they would be prepared when they came in. Uh, the guys would spend a whole day there. Uh, we had pizza brought in all the time uh, so that the guys had something to eat while they were there. Um, Cleaver Armory was a great spot. Uh, was well, at the time, a decent price. Uh, I'll just tell you it was $1,000 a night uh, at the time. They have since remodeled and have raised the price just slightly to $3,500 a night. So it is uh, expensive. Uh, but it, you know, then you're tearing down the ring. Um, ring crew, so great to have uh, young people that were on the ring crew. Uh, Shauna Herbert was the person who headlined that and was. I'm always so thankful for her and all the hard work that she did getting people to do the ring crew. And then you make sure everything is clean. And uh, the fun part of promoting is all the money you make. <laughs> uh, but the people forget that, uh, so who was sweeping the floors at the end of the night? And I was one of those people who was making sure the locker rooms were clean. That was part of what I had to do. Um, so there's a lot of work that goes in. Tearing down the banners uh, takes a long time. Rolling them back up, then taking the truck out to the store place the rental place and unloading the truck, taking the truck back to Penske or wherever we rented it from. Uh, the armory only had 200 and something chairs and so we always had to rent chairs from a rental place so we had to unload those the next day. So it's not a one day, it's a five or six day event just to do the show. And then we're editing and I had a gentleman who was at WB who uh, came along and I hired him to be the editor, so I would then go out to the Comcast studios that they had for us, and we would sit down and we would edit the show. And that's, for a one-hour show, it would take three to four hours. Uh, we would then shoot the clothes out there and uh, put it together, then finalize it and get it off to upload it to the Comcast feed so that it could go on. So then I'm out uh, with sponsors, uh, making sure they're happy. Um, what did they want to do? Making We ordered uh, free tickets for them or discount tickets. Go visit Tom Peterson and Gloria on 82nd and Foster at the time and visit with them and just keep everybody happy. So it takes a lot to put on a successful promotion uh, and make it look professional. You can, you can do whatever you want in indies and with handheld little cameras and phones, uh, but to do a good television show that uh, a network or somebody will look at it takes a lot. All right, I'm going to bring excuse me, new tongue. I'm going to bring Glenn in for the next round of questions. All right, uh, you, you talked a little bit about some of the legends that were uh, appearing in your in your with your company, and uh, I mean impact that uh, Roddy Piper must have had. Uh, you know, both performing with you, but also uh, just influencing some of the people. Uh, you know, who are on the card, the younger guys, the younger guys and gals. What was it like to have, uh, you know, the what was the impact you think uh, those guys had on, on some of these up-and-comers at that time and just how important and how valued their their wisdom was? I mean, like a, a Len Denton 
or even a, F a Fidel Sierra, a Matt Bourne. Talk about just those guys and their roles of not just being that big name on the card, but did it trickle down to some of the guys who worked underneath and as far as gleaning knowledge? Absolutely. Uh, Ronnie, actually, when he came at, to the WB Portland Wrestling, he was working for TNA at the time. Mm -hmm. And part of the deal that we worked out was he had to film a bunch of segments for TNA or for some other things that he was doing on the side. So he would come into the studio for a couple hours a week and we would film a bunch of stuff, whatever he wanted, and send that off. And then he would help with Portland Rustling with looking at what we had designed and giving us ideas. Uh, he, we would have a finish and he would go, well, let's do this and tweak it so that this is why you do this. And he's just an absolute genius in, in what was going on. And then you have a guy like Lynn Denton, who was in the locker room the whole time, or an Ed Moretti, Buddy Wayne, who was back there making sure things are running smooth, who've been through television production, who have been through wrestling shows that go you know, three and a half hours to get four shows in. Uh, so they're out there, they're giving their advice. Uh, not all of the people listen to them. I, you know, I understand that. Uh, young guys sometimes think they know what they're doing. But a guy like J.D. Bishop or uh, Vinny Massaro uh, gleaned a lot. Scotty Mack uh, learned a lot from Fidel Sierra and from the grappler and from Buddy Wayne. Buddy Wayne, uh, if you Jim Cornette will talk about uh, Buddy Wayne at times. And, uh, what a great trainer he was. And, you know, he has a wrestling school now that's very successful. Um, and we said like his son has learned from age six how to be in the ring, so he, that's why he's so, so good. Uh, but just the simple things like selling, uh, the speed of a match, here's what we want you to accomplish in the match and this is how you should go about it. You know, in the old days, of course, the veterans all claimed that they could call everything in the ring except when you, know, you would give them the finish. Uh, as we were moving into the 2000s, Guys like to work their matches out of the ring and have it pretty well laid out before they would go out there. Uh, they would encourage them to do that because that's what they were comfortable with. They were young. Uh, they hadn't had the experience. But just being able to have them say, this is what I want you to do, and this is how you do it and why you do it, which is as important as how to do it. Um, Roddy and, and Lynn were great at that. Fidel was great at that. There was only one, I can think of one real instance that somebody didn't listen to uh, Roddy Piper. We had a gentleman, I won't mention his name, a big guy, had played some football at Washington State, and he was just kind of a lumbering type guy, uh, tall. And so we were giving him Miss uh, Chevious uh, as someone that he would run into the ring and save her and then she would of course you know the romance would start and that was going to get him over as he would defend her all the time as she was getting beat up in the ring uh, a whole long story that piper had laid out for like three four months after three weeks uh, the gentleman said he couldn't do the angle anymore because his real life girlfriend didn't want him doing that um so um Guess who did not work anymore for Portland <laughs> Wrestling? Um, it was a missed opportunity when, when somebody with that caliber of, of understanding of wrestling and, and the knowledge, not just the moves, but the, the mindset behind it and where it's going, you, you got to listen to guys like that. I learned a lot from Piper. I learned a lot from Grappler and Fidel and from a Dr. Luther or, or Buddy Wayne. And sometimes we didn't agree. I know Buddy Wayne and I didn't agree on certain things, but I always listened and respected because they had their uh, ideas of why we should do this. And so you, you, you listen. I always say, I know enough to know that I don't know enough. And um, that's what those guys are there for. Veterans are critical to the business. Yeah, and, and some of those ideas too, uh, they know what works, I mean, in your company was I, I, I've seen some clips. There was an embrace of, of some of the stuff that made Portland famous, of which I, I do believe a, a coal miner's glove. How important was that for the company to, to maintain that local flavor with just some of those local things, those 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 things that we the go tos, I guess you would say, when we think about a Portland wrestling or you know, with, without going too deep into the nostalgia. 
putting a more mod, maybe putting a modernized spin on some of this stuff. Like the old gimmicks still work, but even in present day, you have to tweak things. But what was that like to, to hold up and put, pay, you know pay homage to some of the uh, uh, of the moments of, of Portland's pro wrestling past? Sure. So since Portland wrestling had left the air in 1991 uh, on KPTV. It really, to go to 2002, it's not that long a time period yet. If you were to do today, uh, and you were to try to do a Portland wrestling, the audience that was familiar with that would be aged up enough that you lose a lot of the value of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But back then, you had the name, the nostalgic name, and yet you did things like a coal miner's glove match. You brought in the name of Dutch Savage that people were still familiar with and tied in those certain aspects. This wrestling in every territory is, there are some differences, but back in the day, there was a lot of the same stories that went on decade after decade and they just updated them and uh, tweaked them. You know, there were not these super kicks, you know, except for, you know, Chris Adams in Portland did the super kick. Mm -hmm. Uh, But other than that, for us, there weren't you weren't doing the super kick party. I understand that's what today's fans look for and understand in the video game era has changed it. But having a, a tie to the past to bring back that nostalgia and have it so that it's not old, but but kinda old, but not, and still fresh, it's, it's a real uh, mix to try to get it together. Uh, and that's guys who understand that. Roddy Piper understood the business change. Now he didn't like what some of the business was becoming, but he understood that to, to he had gone from old school through the Hulk Hogan era. So he understood the value uh, because pro wrestling's all about making money. And he understood that and he was great at that. I, Roddy Piper, to the person that you interview on the street, Roddy Piper, they will say, the nicest guy I've ever met. I can tell you that I've had run-ins with Roddy and because it was business. It wasn't angry. It was just, this is how this is, and this is how this is. And he had his things that he needed, and we had ours. Uh, so that was business. But as soon as the camera came on, as soon as the waitress came over, bam, he knew that somebody was around, and he could really turn it on. That's the genius of Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. And I have to, you know, you, you talked to uh, you, Jim Valley. You mentioned him. You also uh, uh, mentioned Mike Rogers. Uh, another name I saw in the wrestling column, and I know he has been doing some wrestling through the years, uh, is one Brian Alvarez. I mean, you got him back in the day on these clips. Is this is this the, truly the man who went on to become uh, internet famous? It is actually Brian Alvarez. Um, so he was beautiful, Brian Alvarez. When <laughs> we brought him up, we paired him with the this rent to own because Brian was. He's small, um, but he was actually a very good wrestler. Uh, he wouldn't do a lot of spectacular moves, but he was very solid. He has a gymnastics background. He was very athletic. Um, and so we did a deal with him and, and Miss Renta Owen. In fact, he's on the very first Portland Wrestling at WB match, uh, getting beat by the grappler. Um, and so it was a good match. We will be showing that match in its entirety in an upcoming episode. Uh, Brian is a, a great guy. Uh, knows the business, has is one of those that, like Dave Meltzer, gets a lot of grief for some of their takes on the business today because they have progressed in the way it goes. Um, Brian is a lot of fun. Great family man, by the way. Great community uh, person. And, and so it was a lot of fun to have Brian on. He was there in the WB shows. He did not work the... Uh, Portland Wrestling Cleaver shows, but Brian Alvarez is... People, if they can find matches for him, they will enjoy what they see. Okay, so you could, so you'll, you'll definitely uh, be favorable when you play the star system. The rating. <laughs> Absolutely, Brian Alvarez. Well, Miss Renta owns a 10. So <laughs> even if Brian was a 3, uh, you know, the average is out. And, okay. And the Miss Renta own story, which I won't repeat here, uh, is one on an upcoming episode that people won't absolutely won't believe happened but it's true 
it's uh, it's just so cool that uh, you're able to you know you've saved and you you you've archived this stuff through the years. So now that you're able to to put this all together with with the YouTube page. Now, when does this YouTube page like? When do you start really getting the the real the wheels in motion? I mean, the promos are out there, the teasers are already pleasing, but. When are you going to give people that taste? And how much of a taste would you like to give them here as you get this thing up and running? And, you know, how much actual footage do you have? I mean, it sounds like you have a, a, a good bounty of it through the through the years. So, as I said, we launched July 4th. Uh, we It takes a while to put these shows together, yeah. uh, to take, to edit from a from the DVD to save it, um, and then transfer it into the... Uh, editing system and then take it from that system to the place that I'm uploading to the YouTube. Uh, so f for the first show, which, and all the shows will be, they'll be 35 minutes to an hour. There's no set time, mm -hmm. just as things fill in. Um, it's, so the first show is going to be probably a good hour and uh, it's probably going to take six, seven hours to have that all put together. Hopefully, I streamline the process and I can get it down to like four hours, but I'm retired, so it's okay. <laughs> and um, I probably have just a couple of the WB um, tapes that I have, uh, but other than that, the Kaiser, I have 185 DVDs, uh, and they're all, you know, so it's an hour. It's an hour show, um, 15 minutes of commercials, and I will, <laughs> I'm just honest, not all of it is great. Um, I'm like, I watch some of it now and I go, how did we put that on television? But there's a lot of good, fun stuff. There's some good, solid wrestling. Um, like I said, the stuff with Luther and Skag and the Grappler uh, is terrific. People will absolutely fall in love with the cartel who are spectacular wrestlers and can really talk on the mic. Um, and then just guys that are some local guys that um, have been around, have worked hard, and it's good. it'll be good for people to get to know them. Uh, Scotty Mack um, is a terrific wrestler, and Aaron Idle come down from Canada. People will really enjoy those. And then, of course, we will be showing in different sections, the Portland Wrestling pay-per-view, the only pay-per-view in Portland Wrestling history, had the uh, no rope barbed wire death match, had a table, ladders and chairs match, uh, Mustafa versus hardcore legend in Portland Billy, two eagles uh, in a weapons match. We had a cage match with the Blanchard brothers going against each other. Um, Timothy Thatcher, you mentioned, he is on that card. Uh, Timothy Thatcher was spectacular. Uh, always a good wrestler, but you could see some of his, his personality has changed from what they have him now, but he was really doing the British uh, gimmick, uh, had a butler. Uh, <laughs> so he, he was a lot of fun, but he could really, really wrestle. There's a great match with him and Dr. Luther that we'll be showcasing. Uh, and so there's a lot of great stuff to come. Oh, I look forward to that. And, uh, man, I can still remember watching Dr. Luther when he was luscious Lenny St. Clair on uh, Canadian uh, Pro, whether it would be uh, for the CNWA or working for Tony Candelo in Winnipeg. So my, those are my memories. And then when he became this Dr. Luther character, he came back to Winnipeg in the 90s, uh, mid-90s. And, yeah, he, he did a gimmick where he... You know, he was begging to get his mask taken off, and he almost bit the hand off of the ring the announcer who was interviewing him. So it was really, really just, I mean, it, it was a trip to see uh, just how, you know, he became, he went from Lenny St. Clair, this pretty boy character, to, to this uh, deathmatch king, Dr. Luther, and then watch, seeing some of his deathmatch stuff, it's just amazing and you know he's peace more than paid his dues and it's kind of cool to see that he gets a, a little time out there uh, both in front of the camera and behind the scenes with AEW because he does have some great knowledge to offer I just think people uh, they look at him now and they, they, they don't realize just what he went through in his career and what he was in his career yeah and not and he did death matches in if uh, FMW but he was really, uh, before that, a real just solid wrestler. Um, and he showcases that a lot in Portland. And he's doing some agent work. Besides a few matches, he was just on Rampage, I think, uh, two weeks ago. But he's doing a lot of agent work in the back. And 
he has uh, he is somebody who has always been able to change his body. He's, he has a tremendous work ethic when he wants to in the gym, and he is absolutely ripped right now. Um, so good for him. I'm glad to see he's getting a, a good payday um, and doing some good stuff. I'm sure he's making an impact on guys in the back. Oh, for sure, indeed. I'm going to bring Mike McCurdy back into the conversation to take us home here on this edition of Wrestling Memories. Another fun thing about Luther, you talked about, you know, Roddy was able to, you know, turn it on when the cameras were on all that. Luther was another guy that was like that. Um, Cleaver Armory, I'd be standing back in the hallway before while, you know, they're doing their interviews. And, you know, Luther and I'd be talking baseball. He's a Mariners fan. I'm an athletics fan. So you, you know how that went. But we'd be sure. talking baseball and this this pitcher and how this you know batter's doing this and that, and then he'd get called in to go do his interview and he'd go from talking about baseball to I'm gonna just losing his mind. I mean, he could turn it on like flipping a light switch. It was amazing to watch him work. <laughs> and he's a Buddy Rose was a great skater. Uh, Doctor Luther was actually a really good hockey player, amateur hockey player, uh, up in. Washington for a while and then uh, parts of Canada uh, led his team in scoring and penalty minutes uh, one year no surprise uh, and just was at the Canadian or was at the uh, Pro Hockey Hall of Fame uh, staring at the Stanley Cup for about 15 minutes uh, a day before yesterday so he's having a great time. Now you mentioned going back and looking at the footage you're putting all these shows together and you said you saw some matches where you were like how did that make television and I think everybody can go back and look at stuff like that but as you're going over all this and kind of reliving those years of Portland wrestling you know what were some of the things that kind of came back to your mind that you know you liked that maybe brought up you know funny little stories and all that because you're basically kind of going back down memory lane as you're putting all this together <laughs> so um Sure. Looking at guys uh, like Damon Scythe, uh, watching him progress from where he was when he started. His first match was on the WB. Uh, Tony Kazina was his trainer. Uh, seeing where he became, how we were able to transform him. Uh, he wasn't a talker, so he, but he did own giant pythons in real life. So integrating that into the show and putting him with the grappler and seeing how that uh, furthered his character uh, is always fun to see. Watching guys like uh, Scotty Mack and Aaron Idle who were phenomenal and sometimes I always remember Scotty Mack and how great he was and I've, Aaron Idle was here for a shorter period you forget. So you look back and you see these guys that are so athletic. Adam Thornstow, uh, Reno Scum now, if you look at him from when he started his body transformation is spectacular, a solid, solid wrestler. Um, and so watching guys like that are great. Um, some of the stuff that's not as good um, are guys, when we put younger guys together and probably didn't think through, we, we tried to keep those matches, you know, seven minutes with introduction. Um, and sometimes they should have been five minutes, but they were, they were good. And we had great referees. I will, I'm not going to harp on referees in AEW too much, um, but we had great referees. Uh, Albert McClure um, and, of course, the late uh, Mark Watson, the ref of the Northwest, were really, really solid. And if you go back, one of the things we always looked at was uh, Sandy Barr as a referee. You watch old Portland wrestling tapes, you'll see Sandy usually standing in the back, in the far corners. Or he'll move in just a little bit, kind of looking if, if the guy's got him in a headlock, make sure it's not a choke, and then move back off. Not in the action-making, exaggerated moves, which is one of my pet peeves uh, of today. I understand I'm getting old. Uh, but we had terrific referees. And that, when you watch a match and you don't notice them there until it's time, that's when you know that you have a great referee, in my opinion. We had terrific referees. Albert McClure and, and, as I said, the late Mark Watson were really, really solid. Things like that, um, knowing that we had one match that uh, Scotty Mack uh, and the Grappler, Ed Moretti had been, Grappler and Scotty Mack were a tag team. Uh, Grappler, the older veteran. Scotty Mack, the young, baby-faced, clean-cut guy. Uh, so Ed Moretti was, of course, playing the jealous person and trying to stir trouble up and saying, Grappler, he's saying you're old. And, of course, they got into the, a match. 
grappler was loading his boot. What a terrific gimmick. Load the boot. That's old school. It came in. It worked fine because he didn't do it all the time. Kicked Scotty in the head. Scotty went down. Uh, he was supposed to bleed a little bit, so he went to cut himself. He's not a guy that cuts himself often, um, and it didn't cut. And so he panicked because it was TV, and instead of going uh, across like you're supposed to, he went up and down and uh, gashed himself. And I knew we were in trouble when he set up, and the blood is absolutely squirting. Uh, so things like that come back to mind because that he was then supposed to go into a match to defend the Northwest uh, title, and it was supposed to be an 11-minute match. And, of course, after about two minutes, the ring is absolutely covered in blood. Um, you thought Omega had a lot of blood. This was insane. And so I have to give the go-home signal. Um, and they both look at me. He's in a headlock, and the ref sees me give the go-home signal. And they both, the wrestlers, kind of turn at me and go, what? But he had to go to the hospital because he got 28 stitches. It looked like a zipper in his head. Uh, so things like that bring back memories, and you just go, yeah, you know what? That, that was a lot of fun. So this is as close as I get right now to promoting, bringing back memories, showing people, showcasing people when they were younger, and letting people know how great some of the guys really, really are. Another kid that uh, worked with you, Portland Wrestling and all that, and I'm sure he might show up in a match. I know I saw him in one. Uh, just celebrated his 10th anniversary with his YouTube channel, and that's... Uh, wrestling with regret and we're talking about <laughs> brian zane um oh. have you talked with brian recently maybe a little collaboration between portland wrestling in the 2000s and wrestling with regret we we haven't chatted about that i sent him some pictures sometimes uh, so brian zane uh wanted to get into wrestling his first actions for me were actually as uh, i brought him up as a cameraman he drove up from eugene uh, so he held the camera. Cameras are really heavy. Real real television cameras are not light. Uh, and he's not the biggest guy. Uh, so he got into that. Uh, so then we needed someone uh, to come in and be a squash match um, against our giant. And so we put him in there. Uh, he doesn't know who his opponent's going to be. The giant comes out uh, from the dressing room. And Brian, or his experience, uh, Expressions were really, really good. Squash match, he gets picked up, choke slam down, one, two, three, and that's the start of his career. So, uh, wrestling with regret, a great thing to listen to, uh, to watch. Um, glad to see his business. He's, he's done really well in the business, so glad we could be a part of that. Now, we've said it to be, uh, yeah, the show debuts July 4th, the YouTube channel. How can our listeners find Portland Wrestling in the 2000s? You just go to YouTube and uh, or Google and search Portland Wrestling 2000s, T2000S, 2000s, Portland Wrestling 2000s, um, and we will be putting new shows up. My goal is to do two shows a month. Um, there is a ton of wrestling to watch out there. Uh, Jim Cornette, who I listen to, is, you know, with, and now with Collision, uh, there's even more. So now if I add an hour a week, that's just going to be overkill. So I'm going to keep them 30 minutes to 45 minutes, hopefully, at, uh, most of them. And every other week uh, should hopefully fit into people's schedule. Watch them whenever they want uh, because there is, <laughs> there is a lot of wrestling out there. Like I said, just a little bit of wrestling. Uh, Frank, it's been a pleasure to talk with you as always. And... I want to extend an invitation to have you on again sometime because earlier in the show we were discussing and the, the commission came up and you know I, I think kind of hearing some stories about you know the whole Portland Wrestling Commission and all that and the Oregon State Wrestling Commission uh, would be another episode that our listeners would be uh, interested in so open invitation to come back and talk with us again about that but I'm going to pass the mic back over to Glenn. Absolutely. Uh, can, I, can, can I get one more yes. plug in? Sure. Okay Go so right uh, besides Mike Rogers and I collaborating on uh, Katie Bar the Roar, The History of Portland Wrestling, which is available on Amazon, and the three interview books, Excitement in the Air, Voices of Northwest Wrestling, also on Amazon. We are working on a book that we hope to have out the 1st of November. It is the Encyclopedia of Portland Wrestling at the Portland Sports Arena. There will be bios 
of every single person that had at least one match at the Portland Sports Arena, some bios of people that were scheduled to come in that never did. Right now we're at 456 people we know that we have to do bios on, and we will have match results for every Saturday and Tuesday. That book should be coming out in November, so stay tuned. We'll keep you up to date. Should I just give you my money now? (laughs) (laughs) It's so much work to find and to find pictures of guys that came in once and they had three weeks in the business and trying to find those pictures is, is tough. Mike's doing a great job on the bios and uh, we're slotting it together. So keep watching. I'm Glenn Broggett. You've been listening to Wrestling Memories.